Thank you guys. Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt, and uh, I was here about six or seven weeks ago when we were still sideways facing the wall. And so it's uh, really a privilege and an honor to be back with you and to worship and open God's word with you. And um, things are coming along. It looks great here. Jeff, I got to tell you, I'm a little disconcerted by the snake pit. I've never seen one of those in a church before. I've always heard about it, but um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but I truly am uh, honored to be back. I, I've been telling people since I was here last time that uh, when you go through stuff, when things are a mess, uh, you have usually one of two routes you go. You either get really bitter and angry, or you are crushed and you allow the sweetness of the Lord to come out of you. And uh, when I was here six weeks ago or so, I just encountered the sweetness of the Lord through each and every one of you. Uh, it was a blessed, sweet time. And I was, I think, far more encouraged by you than you were by me being here. And so when Jeff contacted me a couple weeks ago and said, would you come back? My, I was like, of course. Uh, it was so rich for me. So I pray uh, that the Lord would minister to each of us today as well by his word. Um, Last time I came by myself, so I'm so glad that my family's able to be here today, and I have a quick picture because they're down here in the front. Uh, that's my wife, Devin. Uh, next week will be our 14th wedding anniversary. And on the left here, that's Kylan. He's eight years old. Then Shiloh, she's six. I think that's Judah. He's 10. Yes, that's Judah. 10. Josiah, she's our oldest. She's 12. And then Reed is 10. Obviously, they are twins. Um, and so I'm glad they're here. My in-laws are here, uh, another family friend is here, um, but we're excited to worship with you. And so I know that this has continued to be uh, a difficult season for you all, and I don't want to belabor that, but when I was here last time, and if you weren't here, I just want to just tell you that um, who I am is I, I was a, an associate pastor at Bay Presbyterian Church on the west side of Cleveland, and so I was there for over 13 years, and so just recently the Lord called me and my family out to something new that he asked for us, and we're still discerning what that is. Um, but if you've heard of Bay Prez, then it's no secret that over the last few years, we've been through some very trying times as well. Lots of staff departures and difficult circumstances. And so standing before you today is a man who has been broken by some of that as well and carries some of those same wounds that I think many of you are walking through and carrying right now. And so again, like I said last time, I'm here just simply to go to Jesus together with you as we look to our Good Shepherd. And so I'm, I'm very excited to share in your sermon series in the book of Colossians. And, and the book of Colossians, it, to me, is like the most explicit and clear description of the fact that it's all about Jesus and all of Scripture. We know that all of Scripture points to Jesus, but Colossians just says it over and over again so plainly. Probably a couple weeks ago or maybe last week, you, you covered the, that all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How many of you know you can't get much more clear than that? It is truly all about Jesus. And so today, for the next few minutes, we're going to be talking about the heart of Jesus-centered reconciliation. And so reconciliation is kind of a loaded word for us, especially where we are right now. Uh, but in all of life, life is hard, right? It's messy. In all of our relationships, whether it's family, work, or school, or whatever, or the neighborhood, it's hard and it's messy. And so if you're not currently going through an area of life that needs some reconciliation, you probably will be tomorrow or maybe even at lunch this afternoon. It's just a fact of our humanness and our brokenness and sin that things get messed up. 
and broken. And so as we look to God's word today, we're looking for, Lord, how do we walk through this with you and with each other? All right? So would you bow with me as we pray? Um, Father, we do confess that we are a mess. That we are really good at messing up not only our relationship with you, but our relationship with one another. Lord, we have been hurt by others, and we hurt others. And Lord, we we isolate and we create this ever-increasing gap so many times between us and you and us and other people. And so, um, Jesus, we pray right now that you would um, humble us by once again hearing the truth of what you have done for us to draw us back in the right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Would you turn with me then to our text, first, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Jeff said I'm allowed to step on his toes from last week a little bit, so we're going to back up a couple verses. We're going to start at 19, chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll be reading through 23. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there, and as you're turning there, uh, just a little bit of context, or if you're a visitor and you haven't been here the last few weeks, this is, this is a little context um, and, and a little bit of review. If you are a guest or visitor, you're in good company, because I am too. And I pray that your experience today is the same that I've had, that you encounter the presence of the Lord today. But as, as Paul is writing this letter, he's writing it to the church in Colossae. And this is a group of largely Gentile believers, and it's in the region that we know today as modern-day Turkey. And so uh, Paul is imprisoned as, he's write, as he writes this. And it's kind of interesting, he's never actually been to this church He's never been among them. This church was planted uh, indirectly as a result of Paul's ministry in that region, but he didn't start it. Uh, but this church respects Paul and looks to him as an authority, and he feels a sense of responsibility. Hence, he's writing this letter to them because he's become aware that there are some false teachers in the neighborhood that are adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're mixing in some Jewish legalism and also some Greek philosophy and saying, you've got to also believe this, do this, don't do this if you want to be a Christian. And how many of you know that that's not surprising? We still do the same thing today. We are really good at adding to the gospel. Uh, and we want to feel this sense that somehow we've accomplished our place with the Lord, and that simply is not true. And so Paul is writing to remind this church of the truth of the gospel. And so let's read through it for uh, Colossians. I keep saying First Colossians. <laughs> Colossians 1, 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you... Once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." So we're going to go back through and unpack it a little bit, and we just don't have the time to unpack everything that Paul has in here. But verse 19, right out of the gate, for in him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Right out of the gate, Paul is saying that, that Jesus is God. He's making the divinity of God very explicit here. Um, and, and 
Obviously, some were teaching against that, that Jesus was just a man. He was a nice guy. He was a good example. And we face all of those lies in our culture today. But Paul is saying, no, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. You see, if you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus, everything else falls apart. Amen? If Jesus is not God, we are wasting our time here this morning. This is pointless. And the fact that Jesus is God uh, and that he is, is one with God is clear in so many other passages. I'm going to throw them up on the screen real quick. But last week, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's Hebrews 1.3. Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one, John 10.30. Jesus again says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14.9. And then Paul says it again in the next chapter, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see, we, so often as church people, we affirm that God uh, exists in, in three persons. One God, three persons, we call it the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But somehow we twist it sometimes and, and separate them out a little too much, I think. This has just told us that they are the same in nature and character and attributes. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. But too often I think we get this dichotomy going on. I think I have a picture we can throw up. So often we... I think see God as God the Father is the guy on the left, kind of a Zeus-like character. He's old, he's got a white beard, and he's just waiting to throw a lightning bolt at us when we screw up. And we see Jesus as the children's storybook soft, a little feminine, gentle, kind, loving, nice guy. It's kind of the good cop, bad cop. You don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm saying? We would never say that, but I think in our minds sometimes this is what we picture. Is God is mean, Jesus is nice. We needed Jesus so that God wouldn't be so mean to us. I don't want to be flipping or crass, but that is how we, even as Bible-believing Christians, twist it sometimes. They are the same. The attributes, the character, their power, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came and took on flesh as the God-man, the exact representation and image of his Father. Verse 20, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, this is a huge verse that I don't even begin to scratch the surface of understanding everything that's in here. But here's something that I think is definitely being said here. First of all, let's look at the word reconcile. If you look up reconcile in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, dictionary, this is the basic definition. Reconcile means to restore to friendship or harmony. To restore to friendship or harmony. Strong's Concordance makes it a little bit more specific. To bring back to a former state of harmony. you got to remember that as we go through the message this morning. That's what reconcile means. It's a returning to something that used to be in sync, that used to be good, that used to be whole, that used to be in harmony. A relationship that was solid. To reconcile is to return to that. And you guys, I'm sure, have covered this before. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve chose to sin and rebel against God and to eat from the fruit, what happens there is that all of creation, everything, every relationship breaks. And we talk about it in the context of four relationships that were broken. I think I have a slide for this too. 
that when they chose to rebel against God, obviously man's relationship with God was severed, was broken, amen? Number two, their relationship with each other was broken. Remember when God shows up after they've eaten, he said, Adam, where are you? Have you eaten of the fruit? He goes, the woman that you gave me gave it to me. He, in one breath, blames God and blames Eve. Broken relationship. If it wasn't broken before, it was broken then. Eve's like, no, you didn't. The other relationship that's broken is mankind with creation. At that moment, all of creation felt the effect of sin. Things began to die. When God covers them, what does he cover them with? They had gotten some leaves, animal skins. Some animals had to die to cover their nakedness and their shame. Man's relationship in the world and creation has been broken by sin. And the last one, that's a mirror, if you couldn't figure that out. Man's relationship with himself, like internally, we got issues now, amen? We got issues. Not only do we physically get sick, we're mentally sick. We have all this conflict and shame within us. Sin touched all of that. And so it doesn't matter what you believe. Everybody understands and gets like something is messed up in the world today. There is not harmony in our world today. Whether it's nature with all the natural disasters to all of our interpersonal stuff, we have some issues. And so I believe this verse, at least in part, is speaking to this fact that Christ's death on the cross also paid for the reconciliation of all that the sin of man has broken in creation. Well, how do you know that? Romans 8, 19. I don't think I have it on the screen. This is familiar. You'll recognize this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. You see it? Even creation has been broken by sin. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. And so now Paul, back in Colossians, flips it back to us. Verse 21. And you. So in Christ... Everything has been reconciled, and then he turns it specifically, and you, who once were alienated, and think of alienated as estranged, alone, isolated, separated from God, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And so not only were you separated by God, from God by your sin and my sin, but you were also hostile in mind. Now, how many of you know that you can be hostile in mind but still do good deeds? If you have children, you know. Say sorry to your brother. Sorry! Hostile in mind, doing the right thing. But what Paul's telling us is we have the triple threat. We were alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. That we really had it going on. We had the complete package. We, in our sinful nature, were at war with God. Opposing him in rebellion. Not just, oh, I've sinned and now I feel ashamed. It's, I'm hostile towards you. I don't like you. I don't want you ruling my life. And not only that, I'm going to continue to do the things that are against your law and against your nature. 
Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You didn't just wake up one morning and say, Oh, I'm going to start living for Jesus today. You could not. Sin had broken that. You were not able to reach out and to follow the Lord. And Brother Frank already read this this morning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. A perfect description of the same thing. Paul's writing to the Ephesians church. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not a pretty picture. It's not good. But, verse 22, he, meaning Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know what that says, church, is that it's a done deal. He did it. He has now reconciled you. It's implied there from previous verse. He has now reconciled you. And his body of flesh by his death. And you're like, wow, that's a, that's a little graphic. Body of flesh by his death. And you see what Paul's doing here is he's confronting another one of those false teachings that was starting to creep in. That, that just as he holds up Jesus' divinity, that he was God in the beginning, now he's holding up that he was also human. He doesn't just say his death because that could be, oh, it was like a spiritual figurative death. No, he says in the, his body of flesh by his death. Back up in verse 20, he said the blood of his cross. He's being overly explicit about, no, Jesus was fully human too. He died an actual death because the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid it in full. Fully God, fully man, he accomplished what was necessary for our reconciliation with the Father. But the second part of that verse is not only was our debt paid, not only did he die the death that you and I deserve, but he has given us his righteousness so that we can stand before the Father blameless. We can walk right in. Verse 23. It starts with this interesting word. It says, if, and you're like, oh, I knew there was a catch. He's done all of this. He's reconciled me. I can walk before the, the Lord blameless and holy and pure. If I knew it. Okay, Paul, tell me what I got to do then. Tell me how I work this thing out. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Okay, see, that's what I got to do. Jesus got me saved. Now I got to keep me saved. Oh, I would never say that. We live that way, don't we? We think the gospel just is like, Jesus washed my sins away, it's my ticket to heaven, and now i got to work really hard and be a good Christian. He says, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Well, what's faith? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing 
through the word of Christ. Faith is a gift of God that you had nothing to do with. You didn't work up faith one day and said, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Faith is given to you by the Lord. Are you still with me? So if you continue in the faith, but the faith is given to you. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus did everything necessary to pay the debt of my sin. Saving me from the eternal wrath of God and restoring my relationship with the Father for eternity. It's good news because it's already been done. It's over. It's accomplished. And so not only was everything made by him, and not only was everything made for him, and not only does everything hold together in him, but everything in between that was broken by our sin and rebellion has been redeemed, fixed, and reconciled through him. That's a good spot to say amen. It's all about Jesus. It starts with him, it's for him, it ends with him, and everything in the middle is still him. He's accomplished it all for us. I mean, church, where are you in that picture? What have you and I contributed to the reconciliation that we have experienced with the Lord? He has done everything to reconcile us that, that not only were we not willing to do, but we weren't able to do it. We couldn't accomplish it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul is saying, Keep believing that. Continue in that. Don't let anyone try to convince you to add any of your own works to it. There's salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It's all Jesus. Now, if you want to get all scholarly, the, the tone in the Greek here is positive. It's basically saying like, like Paul has no doubt they're going to continue because faith wasn't something that started with them. Faith, faith is the result of something that's already been accomplished for us. It's the outworking. Of course you're going to continue in the faith. He who began this good work in you is faithful to complete it. It's all him. Okay, Matt, so what? What, what does this have to do with me and my wife and my kids? What does it have to do with the stuff going on at work when I get back there in the office tomorrow morning? What does this have to do with people in my neighborhood and my extended family? And all the relationships that have been broken because we've been hurt and we've hurt others and it's just a mess. Matt, so much of my life is not in harmony. How, how, how do, how, what do I do with that? Well, Scripture gives us some clear instruction about how to reconcile with others or to move toward it, and especially other Christians. So here are a couple passages I'm sure you're familiar with. Matthew 5. Stay with me. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, basically if you're coming to worship, coming to give of your, your heart and your worship and your songs and your prayers to the Lord, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, 
sometimes that, that passage, okay, if I know my, it's a little confusing. If, if my, I know my brother has something against me. And so sometimes you can think like, well, obviously you did something to offend him. That's why he's got something. You, of course you need to go apologize and make things right, moron. How many of you know sometimes people have something against you that has nothing to do with you? You didn't do a thing to make them have something against you. I mean, that's Jesus. We were his enemies, and he did everything to move toward us. He went, he, he went and did the go to make things right between us. Are you still with me? And sometimes we're just annoyed by that. Like, I didn't even do anything. Why do I have to bother myself with this situation? If you know that your brother has something against you, go to him. Matthew 18. We love this one. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The harmony is restored. You see it? It's reconciliation to bring back together what's been broken. And the passage goes on from there. there are different steps and levels in how you work through that. And I'm sure many of you have done this. So you see a pattern there. If there's a break in relationship, the, the command is to go, to move toward the other person. Sound familiar? For God so loved the world, he sent. Jesus came. He moved toward us when we were actively in rebellion against him. Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. There's a harmony word. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's, that's really hard to do. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Here's the kicker. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do I have to? Doesn't that just sound like a lot of work and messy? Last one. John 15, this is Jesus sitting with his disciples just hours before he will be betrayed and crucified on our behalf. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Go, move toward Lay down. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, these are all great commands and instructions. They're biblical for crying out loud. But can I tell you that you can very easily mess this up? And some of you know exactly where I'm going. If you simply try to do all these things just because it's the right thing to do, it will most likely end poorly for you. If you try to move toward one who has offended you or someone you have hurt, oftentimes they don't respond very well, do they? And in that moment, your heart will be exposed. Will you become angry? You ever been there? Then it's very easy to become defensive. Well, what you did was worse anyway. I don't even know why I'm apologizing. But I'm doing the biblical thing. I'm moving towards you. We become angry. We become defensive. We become self-righteous and proud, heaven forbid. Well, I did my part. It's your turn. I don't have to keep moving. I already did my thing. I said sorry. 
easy to become bitter. I don't, I don't want nothing to do with them. I already tried that. They're dead to me. It's on them now. They become slanderous. Can you believe what they said to me? I was coming to apologize, and then they said this. Don't raise your hand, but you see that in your own heart. I see it in mine. I'm doing the right thing. Je Even Jesus said to do this. I'm doing it. Church, this is why we must constantly, daily, moment by moment, remind ourselves of the gospel. We deserve nothing but death and the eternal judgment of God. We are, we're actively opposing the Lord, and he laid down for us anyway. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of Jesus-centered reconciliation. You cannot move toward people like Jesus without first being humbled by how he moved towards you. Otherwise, it's simply a work, and it can become very easily a work of our flesh, trying to do the right thing, but really it's all about us. The heart of Jesus-centered reconciliation is a laying down, realizing that I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve any harmony in my life or relationships, and yet Jesus moved toward me. How could I not also move towards you, no matter what your response? To love as Jesus has loved me. Would you bow with me? I want to give you just a moment just to sit and allow the Spirit of God to continue to stir His Word in you. If there's something that the Lord is convicting you of now, of maybe you've tried to do that in your own flesh and you've responded poorly and it's, it's, you're getting it now like, wow, that was, wasn't moving in gospel love. It wasn't moving in the power of the gospel. I was seeking to be right once again. Just give that to the Lord. Father, forgive me. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you haven't understood what Jesus has done for you. You've seen Christians as people who try to do the right things and, and they read their Bible and they pray a lot and they go to church. But then a bunch of them are hypocrites and you just don't know how it works. Uh, that's the thing. We are hypocrites. We are broken, messed up people who are falling and standing and moving forward only by the grace of God. And so if in your heart today you're saying, I need that, I need peace with God, I know that something's off, Jesus came for you and he's calling you. And what he's looking for you is not trying to clean yourself up or get things right. All he's saying is come to me and believe. And say, thank you, Lord, for moving toward me when I was your enemy. Thank you for dying and paying the price for my sin. Thank you for opening the relationship back up with God. For all of us, one last piece of scripture I want to read, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, thank you for these truths that are written over and over again in your word that anchor us when everything in our flesh is trying to do it right and trying to get it right. And Lord, we can't. You have done it all for us. And for that, Lord, we are humbled and we say thank you. And we say, Lord, please, we surrender to you. Use us to carry that same heart, that same love, that same reconciliation to those around us who so desperately need the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name.